Hello and welcome to Alive and Engaged, the podcast about speaking out and looking in. My name is David C. Jones, and I thought before we started today, what I would do is go over the premise of the podcast. Life for everyone is about public speaking, whether it's a staff room or in an auditorium in non-pandemic times, or at a dinner table or at a party. Standing in front of a group of people is what we do a lot of the time. And some people find being in front of a group of people terrifying. Some people uh, find going up on stage in front of people the last thing in the world. They'd rather have their, you know, fingernails ripped out than go up on stage in front of people. But I love it. I love it. I I learned at a very young age how much fun it was. Uh, And I... uh, been uh, an MC and a host for like rock concerts, uh, conferences, beauty pageants. I teach public speaking and I'm a performance coach and I, I make my living pretty much uh, either as a teacher or as a host and an MC. Oh, and I should point out, not an MC, MC. I'm an MC, E-M-C-C. Like I don't do spoken word or rap or anything like that. I'm not that kind of MC. <laughs> so just in case you're expecting me to rap in a moment. I also like to be of service. And so when I was coming up with the idea of creating this podcast, I thought I would share some tips on how to improve your people skills by using some of what I've discovered from public speaking. But wait, there's more. I've also discovered in my life as the center of stage kind of extrovert, I also have personally a lot of anxiety and personal demons on the inside. And I've done a lot of different healing practices to help me grow as a person from the inside out. But I'm not an expert. I went to experts for help with that. Uh, So I thought what I would do with the podcast is I would also talk to various different experts about personal growth, about uh, healing and about changing if you want to change so that's why we're speaking out and looking in so let's talk about what i wanted to talk about today first Uh, one of the big things i do when i'm a oh and i hope that clarifies what the podcast about part one me talking about speaking out to people whether on a big platform or in a small setting and part two talking with someone about looking inward. Okay, today's uh, main topic, uh, uh, a thing that I use when I host an MC, and one of the reasons why I get asked back to work at events over and over again, is I use a lot of creativity to make the event more memorable and impactful. Creativity. Now the host is not the show. That's really important. The host is not the show, and you have to remember when you're the host that you're serving three masters. You have the audience in front of you, the act, the speaker, the award, the whatever that is on one side of you and on the other side of you is the producer. So you have to manage the expectations and the needs of all of those people. And once you know what their indicators of success are, once you know what they want, what they're expecting out of the experience, then you have room to be creative within those parameters. So some of the things that I've done uh, to make events more fun, I've I've been at a family event or a public event. Uh, You have to read out the sponsors all the time. You have to, you know, it's part of the script that you have to read out the sponsors. What was the family event? 
I've started bringing up little kids and making them read out the list of sponsors and actually challenge the audience to listen to this child or else they'll traumatize them. So the sponsors get their names read out loud, the kid gets uh, to play and I usually give them a little prize or a treat for doing it and uh, it makes it a much more entertaining uh, situation when you have to read out all the sponsors. If it's a long show, if you're hosting a long event, uh, again, and if it's appropriate for the event and the tone of the event, you can keep changing where you are appearing on the stage. I remember doing the Variety Club Telethon. Uh, this was a live event, not the televised event. And at one point I actually asked the technicians if I could go up behind the audience and appear up there as well. So I was engaging the audience and tickling the audience because I kept showing up in different places in the theater as I was introducing the next act. So, you know, play with what your, what your portion of the show is. The other thing, you might sometimes are, be asked to fill time. Something has gone wrong. There's been a technical issue or an act isn't ready. So what can you do to fill time? I've seen actually MCs just go, we'll be back in five minutes. We have a small technical delay and just walk off on stage. But then the audience starts to get restless and they start to get confused. And again, the producer gets upset because their, their audience is not being entertained or engaged. So do you sing or play an instrument? Uh, you, is there something that you can bring, a, a track that you can use to fill? I've done that before. I also sometimes will ask a client ahead of time if they have any old stuff like uh, you know when a company changes their logo and they suddenly have all these coffee mugs that have the old logo on it and they don't want to throw them away but they don't want to use them so I ask them if they have anything that I can use as prizes and then I do little pop quizzes based on the company or the event. I've also gotten the audience up dancing. Uh, I bring a track of music and go, okay, we're just going to have a little stretch out here and get everyone uh, moving to different tracks of music. And sometimes I bring them up on stage to improvise a little sketch. As long as you're not, you know, surprising the producer, right? And as long as you've made, made sure that it was okay to do this sort of thing and you're not adding time to the event uh, and you know you're not the show, you're merely keeping the audience engaged and ready for when the act comes out, you can use your creativity to help keep the energy up and keep the, uh, the event unexpected and fun. Even if the tone of the event is serious, you can bring some excitement and playful energy to it as long as it is about the event. This is the same I find in real life. There are people I know that no matter the situation, whether it's serious or getting down to business or more social, they have a sparkling enthusiasm, a playfulness, and, and are often surprising. You can often see it in their eyes. I'm sure you must know people like this. They, they, they have what I call, I call them chimpanzee eyes. <laughs> they have that, that sort of mischievous smile in their eyes. They're not doing anything. They just are taking in the world in a playful way. And there's really, I remember reading this once, there was really only two types of people uh, in, the, in the world too. They broke it down into two types of people. When you've had an interaction with them, when they leave you, do you feel drained? Do you feel tired after they're gone? Or do you feel energized? Do you feel excited about the experience and are you hoping to have another experience with them? So now think about that for yourself. When you are interacting with a group of people, are you bringing the group down? Are you bringing their energy down? Or 
Are you invigorating them? Are you lifting them up? Now, I mean, you don't want to be, this, again, the center of attention. You don't want to leave them exhausted because uh, that will make them drained as well. But are you bringing a playful energy into every group that you are uh, interacting with? Doesn't necessarily mean you have to play tag with them or chase them around the room or be telling jokes. But are you just giving of yourself in an energetic way? And can you tap into your creativity? If you say to yourself, I'm not a very creative person, you can take a workshop, <laughs> learn how to be more creative. Uh, in my past, I was an improviser and I teach improv comedy workshops, for example. You can take one of my workshops if you want or take one with someone else. Creativity can help you in public speaking and it can help you with your people skills. So be creative as you interact with other people. When we come back, I'll be speaking with Vince Gauman, healing for our new world. And we're back, and I am with Vince Gauman, uh, healing for a new world. I'm actually in your place because of the pandemic, so I'm in your lovely apartment and yes. kids. And uh, uh, you do so many different things. Your website is a plethora of things. You're, yeah. You are a healer, mm -hmm. uh, but you're also an artist. You're a singer and a songwriter and stuff. But you do something called somatic uh, uh, somatic counseling? Like, what is that? Well, uh, somatic comes from the word soma, which means body. So it's a, it's a body-based uh, approach to to working with people. Traditionally, counseling has been more talk-based, talk therapy. But um, this is this is an evolution of therapy, which includes the whole body and recognizes that a lot of uh, what we're trying to heal in people, what I would call trauma, right. um, uh, cannot be accessed through words. So if someone had trauma in utero, they're not going to do well to access it through words. They say. can't talk yet. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> or, four, or four months old. Right. You know? Is it, uh, I'm, I'm actually listening to a book called The Body Keeps Score, which mm -hmm. is all about that. Oh, are you familiar yeah, with the yeah, book? It's yeah, it's an excellent book. Yeah, I'm listening to it, um, and uh, it's an excellent <coughs> listen. Mm -hmm. And it's all about that, how we hold trauma in our, in our body. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, they're talking about like heavy trauma, like yeah. in rape and war and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm assuming it's all kinds of trauma, emotional distancing, mm -hmm. um, abandonment, mm -hmm. things like that. So is that sort of... Well, we, we've traditionally associated trauma with war veterans. So we've thought about PTSD mm -hmm. and just the, the trauma incurred on the battlefield. But um, we're now learning that, that trauma is, you know, arises from, from many adverse experiences. Um, some of them are in childhood, which we would call developmental trauma. It could be from neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mm -hmm. um, you know, some form of abandonment. Um, and then there's also what's called shock trauma, which can come from, say, a natural disaster, you know, your house being burnt down. Right. Or sudden loss. You're 25 years old and your beloved suddenly passes away or a parent passes right. away. Right. So all of those have a, a traumatic effect, effect on us. But what's important to distinguish is that it's not the situation that's the trauma it's how it's um 
it's how it, it, it's um, experienced in our body and held in our body. Well, yeah, the, uh, I, I sometimes remember like once when I was working on something in a glass, a giant glass display shattered mm. and it fell on me, but because it was shattering and my whole body tensed up and they sent me to a, a clinic because I had gotten a small cut, just a mm. small one. But my whole body was still holding all the tension. Yes. Right. And, and yes. I was like, oh, this is fascinating my shoulders are up by my ears and I went, this is what they mean when we're holding it in your body that's like right you're... So if, you, if you see ducks fight when they walk away they they shake so they clear it out right right so um when we're children we generally don't have the ability to to move it through our systems we we, we require a, a safe primary caregiver to put their arms around us and soothe us and it's called co-regulation so they're calm and genders are calm and it's that soothing connection that safe attachment that um, helps the the trauma not get stuck in our system it moves out but when uh, kids experience uh, adversity after adversity and there's no safe caregiver there to, to provide a holding container for them then it gets stuck in the system and then it, it can create a whole host of what we call mental health issues. I'm not a big fan of the words mental health. Right. I never, you'll notice, I never use it. Right. Except um, just then. Except just then. <laughs> Good catch there. I'm such a hypocrite. Uh, you know, apart from then, I generally don't use it. Um, I well, use it not? if I have to. <laughs> Someone point a gun at you and say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like, uh, uh, if it's not mental health, what is it then? Well, the reason why I don't like mental health is because... Uh, for one thing, it has the word, it limits health, what we call anxiety or depression um, or other um, ailments, we, we use the word mental, but it's much more than, than mental. It's, it's emotional. It's, it's emotional. It's emotional. It's, it's, and it's deeper than emotion. It's in the nervous system. It's in the cells. It's in the DNA. We now know that trauma gets passed down through the generations um, uh, you know, and call that intergenerational or ancestral trauma. We know that memories go back as far as 14 generations. Wow. Yeah. There's so much research on this now. And so this is another reason why, you know, talk therapy can be limiting because what you're carrying might not be something that's actually personal. Right. It'd be very impersonal. So if it's trauma that is stored in the cellular structure, in the emotional body, in the nervous system, why would we call it mental health? Mm. The other reason why I don't like calling it mental health is because what's happening in our society, though it is a first step, is you're seeing people coming out like athletes and saying, oh, I too have anxiety. I too have depression. But then what do they do? They go take a pill. They right. go, and I'm not against so medication. Over, but we're so over-medicated. We're over-medicated. But what they're not saying is, hmm, I wonder why I have this. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is, oh, it's an epiphenomenon of the brain. There's something off with my brain. The wiring is off. Right. So I have an, a mental illness. So what mental illness does is it gives people um, permission to, I don't want to say permission, it, it, it impels them to, to not do the he healing work necessary because they think it's just a brain problem. Right. So now I'll just go take a pill. Right. 
they don't end up having to do the hard labor of, of going in and exploring their body where right. the healing happens. Right. When you were when you were speaking of the like the generational stuff, I would think that uh, or, and that's like when you're talking about like cultures of people as well like uh, Mm -hmm. whether they be a group of people that have faced genocide like uh, Jewish or Armenian or or, uh, indigenous Mm -hmm. right that that there's no way that that not cannot get passed down get passed down right and it's Mm -hmm. not just that people go well back in my day this thing happened it's like it's it's a shock that's so Shock's not even the right world. It's a oh, it's a horror. It's a horror. It's a horror that is yeah. so devastating that it can't help be in the the DNA. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah there was a, a study, and I I think it came out of a book called, um, well, the book quoted the study or cited the study, but it's a book called um, "It Didn't Start with You," which is a very apropos title. But they did this experiment with mice. And they, they gave this female mouse, as an adult mouse, um, the smell of a rose. And after presenting the rose a few times, they shocked her every time she smelled the rose. And then when they and then when they they pulled away the shock and only presented her with the rose again, she still had the same physiological reaction as if she was being shocked simultaneously. Wow. Five generations down, they present the rose and the, the mouse has the same physiological reaction even without the shock. That's like, but that's like, like with pets when you like, uh, and I guess with people too, mm-hmm. you don't, there's certain things you don't have to teach them. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. it's like, like the cat knows where to go uh, very quickly figures out what, what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to be. Well, behave. it's not just trauma that's passed down. It's wisdom. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's gifts, you know, I mean, I might, you know, I can sing. But my dad can sing, right. you know, he's from Wales, Welsh boys, you know, they like to sing. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know, he, he, uh, so it's not just trauma that gets passed down. That's, yeah. enc- it's encoded. It's an encoding in the DNA. Right. So it's, um, but more specifically, you'll see the words epigenetically passed down. Nice. Yeah. Epigenetically. Epigenetically, yeah. Nice. There'll be a quiz later. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you got you got trained. What what drew you to somatic uh, 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 work? Because you you do breath work as well, uh-huh. and you also work as a life coach. So you 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 started on this journey of healing and learning about uh, stuff. You say on your website that you you also had a, a, a sort of a challenging time as a younger man. So yeah. was it your own journey of trying to heal yourself that you suddenly got drawn to learning about more things? Yeah, I mean, most people who become healers have a lot, have their own load of trauma to deal with. That's what right. brings them there. I, I, as you know, I was a speaker for many years, and I, I became a certified life coach in two thousand or two thousand two. I I don't coach really anymore, um, but the, a lot of the coaching skills has been crossed over into right. the current work that I do. Transferable skills. They're transferable skills. Yeah. Um, speaking was great. Really enjoyed it. I still speak, but not as often. Um, but what happened specifically is I entered a, a healing crisis. was uh, in 2009. I, I got very ill. Hmm. And yeah. this illness kind of began to get worse and worse. And it became all these other illnesses. And I would have five or six really weird sicknesses happening at once. Wow. Like one of them was um, for four and a half years, every time I spoke, I got very sick. 
like like uh, like an upset stomach? Or? No, 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 worse than that. Okay. So if you and I sat I down, don't want to go into detail. Yeah, no, no, I'll tell. I'm happy to tell. Uh, okay. Like like if you and I sat down together and start talking, which you know we are now. Yeah. But let's say it was just, you know, right away I start talking with you. Within 30 seconds, I'd have a sore throat, a headache, a lot of heat wow. on my crown. I'd have uh, pain in my eyes, tingling on my uh, cheek. Um, a whole host of, of major health problems. And that was one. I had heart problems. I had eye problems that lasted three and a half years. I had heart problems that lasted four years. I had eczema, foot issues, chest issues, chronic pain all over wow. the body. And no one could figure it out. No one. No, I mean, who the heck gets, who gets all of sick? Those. Yeah, at once. But who, who gets sick from talking? And as a speaker... That's not a very good thing to have. No. You know? I was basically doing these eight-hour workshops and felt like I was in a boxing ring. Right. And um, but and it, it you know these things didn't just last for like a week. It was like you know years. The whole the whole um, thing of sickness lasted about seven eight years. Wow. So it was during this time I started you know you know working with different alternative types of healing and the. the Probably the one that had the biggest influence was was ayahuasca, oh, yes. the plant medicine, and that began to help me to um, get in touch with some old trauma I didn't even know existed, right. and old memories and like you know things that I I was like what I can't believe that happened to me and uh, and uh, and then with enough healing um, I I remember I was in one ayahuasca ceremony in Mexico and I was. I was, it was like I had a vision of a, tra- a trail, forest trail forking, forking into two paths. Wow. And a voice said, you've been going along this path, meaning as a speaker right. and as a life coach. Um, and now you're going to go down the path of the healer. Wow. And a lot of the trainings I was doing, they were very healing focused. People would get emotional. They'd share vulnerable things. A lot of the coaching I did was already very vulnerable. So I wasn't starting from scratch. Yeah, it's, it's not a, like a completely different thing. It wasn't it was a completely a different, different thing. Container. So, yeah, exactly. It was yeah. like a nice foundation to start from. And then, I, and then so the first thing I was guided to do was to become a registered somatic therapist. And then I was guided to do become a certified breath worker. Yeah. And then, um, and then, um, and then, and then the energy healing, which we can get into. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the breath work first. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, I I teach workshops on laughter and and how when you when you connect down to your diaphragm and go ha ah, mm-hmm. right. And uh, back when I was in acting school. That we would often do a lot of in voice class, do a lot mm. of like, huh, 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 mm-hmm, doing mm-hmm. breathing, and people would start to cry and something like, yeah, yeah, um, uh, like oh, so is that sort of similar with your breath work? Is it about helping people connect into those pockets within the lungs to release? Yeah, I mean, like when we're when we're scared, um, the you know one of the very first things that gets affected is our breath, right, and our posture. You know, our posture, shoulders may go up. Yeah. Your head may turn a little bit to the left or the right. Right. Um, but the breath either shortens or stops. Right. So if someone grows up in a chronically dysfunctional home right. with, you know, lots of failures in love, as, as we like to call it, um, 
then what happens is that the the child who once breathes very fluidly mm-hmm. um, starts to uh, hold his or her breath and uh, you know and then um, or shorten it mm-hmm. and so we we learn to to not breathe as deeply as we once did as a coping mechanism now why do we why do we not breathe as fully well if you breathe less fully you'll feel less fully right so if i breathe less i don't feel as much and so it's a way to mitigate the amount of overwhelm in my body that i'm uncom- that's uncomfortable for me right so if i bring someone if someone comes to me to do a breath session then what happens is that when they bring in a lot of breath which is what happens during the breath sessions, they start to feel more. Right. Right? So the un, the unconscious or suppressed, trapped uh, feelings start to come up. And that's just, that's not only uh, emotion, but that could be sensation. And it's, it's useful to just differentiate emotion from sensation. So sensation could be disgust. It could be... Anger. Ang- well, anger is an emotion. No. Actually, disgust, many people think, is an emotion. Um, but it could be... It could be like tightness in the throat, which would be more sensation. Okay. I or, see. or or uh, or um, they may start to feel tingling in their legs or heat mm. in their in their belly. So it could be a whole host of different things. The other thing that it can unlock is is an old um, uh, need to, to fight or flight, the need to push away or to run can mm-hmm. get unlocked in, in by using the breath. Right. So. Um, so the breath work is, is powerful, um, and there's different styles of breath work, and with different styles, there's different ways that people, practitioners, get their clients to breathe. But right. the way I do it is in and out through the mouth. Right. Yeah. Okay. Not overly fast. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, 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 and are you touching on diaphragm too, like trying to vibrate your diaphragm or, or, or well, filling up your lungs? And you're things. filling up and trying to breathe in your belly at first, but then if some someone starts to feel different tensions or sensation in their body, like they may start to feel tension in their, let's say they feel tension in, in their uh, left shoulder, I will ask them to intentionally breathe into the breathe left into shoulder. Yeah, breathe into that area. And there's lots of body work involved and lots of movement and, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very dynamic way of working I, with people. I remember, uh, working with a, a, a theater street and it was working with, these were teenagers who were, uh, becoming criminals. Basically they'd already had run-ins with the police and we right. were trying to socialize them using theater skills. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm just mentioning this because of the breathing when the voice teacher was working with them, they would put a book on their belly as they lay on their back to try to get them to breathe, to raise the book. Mm. And 90% of them couldn't. Yeah. Because their life on the street was so traumatizing that they were all shallow breathers. Yeah. Because they were ready to like run or fight or do whatever. And they they did not have the full... Well, trauma uh, rigidifies the system, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, Stephen Porges who wrote the polyvagal theory says that, you know, it's, I'm off by a couple of words, but, but trauma replaces patterns of connection with patterns of protection. Right. So we are biologically wired, um, to, to connect, right. you know, we, we are connecting beings and as children, our survival depends on, and our brain development, our, our neurobiological development depends on connection, feeling what's called a safe or secure attachment 
And so when that's not there, we, we move from connection to protection. We protect ourselves from feeling right. the overwhelm. We protect ourselves from connecting with our parents because we know we're under threat right. or whoever the caregiver is. So that with enough of that in the system, that wiring for protection, the system goes from a fluid state, which is the natural state that children are in, hence them doing cartwheels and sp spiraling when they go down the street and spontaneously right. singing songs, to a more rigid pattern in the body. So, so yeah, so I can I relate to your story, and and so that's and so the the chronic pain I had was was a whole bunch of trapped stuff in my system right. that was creating toxic rigidity when I went and saw my one practitioner his name uh, was Howard he was a he was a I don't know if he's practicing anymore because he was pretty old but he he, he was an osteopath he said right. my body was like steel wow yeah and he'd been working for a long time and he, he was basically saying it was just a pretty bad case wow yeah so this is something that uh, probably because you were in the work of public speaking and working with people and 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 that there is always anxiety, like whenever I go out on stage at any event, there's a mm. moment where I go, oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm insane, what am I meant yeah. to do? So if you have something that you're, you haven't dealt with or was buried down deep, mm. you were exasperating it every time you were stepping out until eventually it couldn't be ignored anymore and that's how it manifested itself. Well, is that sort of what you're saying? Is that that's why you, well, you became it was, like this band of steel? Uh, well, it, I think it was just a whole bunch of suppressed stuff that whose time had come, you know, right. and it just, it just came up and why it came up at that exact time is a mystery. Right. You know, this, the, 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 the thing is, you know, that I spoke on, presented on was, was, uh, most, I mean, I did a whole bunch of topics was remembering to play right. and play was the perfect thing for me to teach you is medicine because what's play well play is all about fluidity right you know it's all about being present open flexible curious spontaneous imaginative and connection and connection right, right? and, and plays about connecting to self to other yeah uh, to your intuition and so um and so play was you know they say you teach what you need to learn it was what i needed to to inhabit in my body i was actually you know i i'm good at being playful and in many ways, I wasn't good because my body carried so much rigidity in it. So play was like, um, I was, I was doing it because I, I needed it for myself. Right. But, but I'd done so much of it that eventually, you know, along with my own healing work, I eventually was guided down that, that other real road on that fork. Right. You know? Yeah. Interesting. So, so yeah, so uh, you do the, uh, 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 the energy healing and on your web, the website, it's insane. It's like, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, cause you say relief from chronic pain, low energy, other somatic ailments of body ailments, as well as improvements in mood, sleep, vitality, mo motivation, productivity, flow, abundance, clarity, self-esteem, and relationships. It, so it sounds so dynamic. Yeah. It sounds so powerful. And you have all these testimonials on your website. So um, what is energy healing? What is, what is mm. that? Let's, let's start there. Let's start there. <laughs> Good question. You know, I, I didn't uh, expect to, to be doing what I'm doing right now. I had right. no idea. Like even just like three years ago, I had no idea. Three years ago, I thought I'd be a counselor right. for the rest of my life and lead workshops and keynotes. Uh, and then I became a breath worker and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to become a counselor and a breath worker and lead keynotes and play shops. And then, um, 
I was in an, uh, I was, I've done a lot of ayahuasca and I should, we should probably tell your listeners what ayahuasca is. Oh yeah. And I've done ayahuasca once too. I did okay. a, I did a, I was, I was called to it mm-hmm. and, uh, um, <laughs> I, uh, did one on New Year's Eve and, uh, uh, or going into the New Year's Eve and, uh, a three day experience. And, uh, I found it profoundly changed things mm-hmm. in me, uh, I, because of that experience and because of what I went through, like I gave up meat, sugar, Mm. booze. I was never a big, you know, Mm -hmm. drug user at all. I think in my life I've smoked like two joints. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Both were just today. No. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed you were a little hungry when you got it. Yeah, more chips. Uh, And... Uh, uh, what d- sort of drew me to it is I saw uh, T.J. Daw do yeah. a one-man show mm. about his experiences. So because I was feeling lost and and confused and going, how why why do I feel empty sometimes? I feel like there's something wrong. I went, and I went well, is this seemed to work for T.J. Okay, I'll figure out mm-hmm. how to go about do it. Um, so you you were called to it. I was called to it in 2014 and, uh, um, you know, kind of at the height of the, the illness, I was having a lot of stomach problems. That was another thing I was having issues with the chronic, chronic pain, intestinal yeah. pain, I had parasites and God, I mean, I'm not even listing everything. There's like probably 13, 14, 15 different illnesses I had. Thanks. Uh, yeah. And, um, and a friend of mine mentioned it to me and I just felt like trying it and um, it had a big impact. So just to bring your listeners up to speed, it's, 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 a, it's a concoction like a tea mm-hmm. that's uh, uh, traditionally served in the Amazon by shamans. And it's, uh, it's made up of two plants. One uh, is called chacruno, I believe, and the other one's the ayahuasca plant. And so they mix the two together in a pot through various forms of ritual or ceremony. And over a period of time, they make this tea. The tea is then served to people in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in, a, in an ayahuasca ceremony. Mm-hmm. And usually it's about 25 people. And you drink this tea and then you start to go into an altered state. And then the shaman or shamans start to chant Mm -hmm. these sacred um, chants that basically amplify your experience and act like what's called psychic surgery. And the combination of the plant and the chanting um, brings you through to some very difficult places. Like it's not fun. It's not fun. It's hard work. And, and you have a bucket and many people vomit. Yeah. They, they vomit. It's called purging. You purge the trauma out. Yeah, my, my, my first day was like one of my worst days of my life ever. <laughs> yeah. And the second day was my best day yeah. of my life ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of goes like that. The first day is tough and then... I like I find... wanted to die the first oh, day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's common that people confront the experience of death in an ayahuasca ceremony. So... Yeah. So I've done, um, I've done quite a few ceremonies, uh, you know, I've done 37 and, um, do you get like a, a star or a I get a, I get a, I get a little a badge, I get a gold star. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it makes me really happy, you know, and I'm tell I'm saying 37, not to like, 
you know, say, oh, look at me, I've done 37, because in many ways, 37 is not much compared to other people. But just to give people an idea of, like, how much healing work I've done, along with a whole bunch of other types of work um, for about 22 years. But the ayahuasca was the most profound, and uh, I was in one particular journey where, uh, and this was, uh, so today is May 29th, 2020. Mm -hmm. So two Marches ago, March of 2018, I was in Mexico, and I was in an ayahuasca ceremony. And so your listeners are going to have to stretch their mind a little bit now. Okay. Um, so I was suddenly greeted by these uh, beings that came wow. to me. And, and you know, I remember seeing one wearing a hood. Like wow. you'd have your hoodie. Yeah. And it started teaching me about starlight. Wow. And, and what starlight is. But essentially, I was taught that starlight is a frequency that helps to transmute illness in the system. Wow. So they taught me how to work with people remotely, you know, like how to, to work with starlight to heal people from a distance. So right. over four days, they systematically taught me how to do this. And then at the end of the fourth day, they said, now go do it. Right. So I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Really? Yeah. Go do it now. Go, go and practice what we're teaching you. Wow. So I went home and I had a client in, uh, in uh, Toronto who I'd been working with for a while. She had chronic uh, osteoarthritis. So I, th I think it was like lower back pain or shoulder pain or something like that. And I did, uh, at this time, it, it's, how I did it then is different than how I do it now. I've been shown different iterations, but I did three sessions for her. Um, she did not know when it was happening right. so she paid i did the three sessions and i told her when it was done and when it was done um she emailed me and said all the pain was gone wow she had it for decades so okay uh so what what do you do do you set up a time i presume because it's starlight it's at night then, no, then no, no, say, oh, no 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 it doesn't no. have to be okay no it doesn't matter what time of day it is and with her it was uh, just one-on-one, -on -one, but now I do them in groups of eight along with one-on-one. -on -one. So I can do eight people at one time. Right. It doesn't matter when I do it. They don't know, need to know when I'm doing it. In fact, right. I don't want them to know. But what, so what do you do uh, here? Like, do you like have a, an alert on your phone going, Oh, time to go do that. I schedule, work. I schedule the, the yeah. time because I have a pretty full practice. So I, I, I schedule the time of when I'm going to work with the groups. Right. So first I get eight people who agree to do it. Who's paid. They right. send me their intentions, and I slot them in a group. Right. And I schedule, I schedule three sessions with that group, usually around over a ten day period, and then I do the the healings for them. Uh, the whole from beginning to end, that one healing takes about forty five minutes for me to do. Right. You call them doses. Well, is that, is that what yeah. I mean, there's different. You know, it's. Uh, I might have to remove that from my website. <laughs> oh, <okay. Cool. laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I might, uh, I might remove that. Okay. But um, so with the eight people, they're you could say they're getting uh, a smaller dose right. of the healing energy compared to if I work with one person at a time, right. because now the all the energy is going to that one person versus right. being apportioned eight eight ways. Right. But I'm also with the single 
session for one for with one-on-one work they're only getting one session with the groups they're getting three so it's it's a lot of nuance and honestly i'm still trying to figure out which one to send people to but bottom line i do groups of eight or i do one-on-one sessions right. the, the groups are always done remotely and when people don't know the one-on-one it's either in person or on zoom or on zoom so you, you yeah them. yeah so uh that's not is that something that your clients for lack of a better word i, I don't know or patients um clients is good clients yeah. good okay um uh do they request or do you assess them out and say this is what i think would work best for you between the group and the individual yeah i like to to uh if I have a new client that comes to me, I generally like to do an intake with them because it's in the intake where I, I get a, an assessment of their whole life and what they're struggling with. And based on that assessment, I can say, I recommend this. Um, but a lot of people email me and they say, I want to do individual. Right. Pretty much no one ever emails me and say, I want to do the group work. Right. Um, and uh, But generally speaking, if someone is pretty new on the path of healing, I think the group work is better. Right. So I, I try to move people that way. Cool. Yeah. But it's a it's you know, the <clears throat> this kind of work is a shock to people because it's it's not just a shock that they got healed, but it's a shock how they got healed. Well yeah, like you you talk about the they the, they know the after effects, but can do they feel something? Do they? Yeah. Or they... I, you know, I, you know, I've had people have very dramatic experiences. Yeah. Like one, some people might just start sobbing like, or, and, and a, a lot of it has a delayed effect. Like, um, they may just start sobbing the next day or they may feel irritable. It could be like a bunch of irritability that comes yeah. up or they suddenly feel a lot of lightness. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, if there's if their symptoms, whether they're emotional or physical, get worse or better, I'm happy. Right. Worse and better means there's movement. Right. Um, it's if they feel nothing at all. That's when, you know, uh, I'm not too sure how much it's really being received on that on their end. But right. most people, most people. It's pretty rare that that people don't notice a difference, right? Yeah. You, well, yeah, and you, you, you. On one of the ones that I thought really stuck out to me uh, was uh, you had a client <laughs> who she spoke of her autistic child. Yeah, and uh, can you explain sort of what happened there? Because you were working with her. Yes. Uh, you weren't necessarily working with the child, however, because she brought, I assume, the child out. Yeah. Yeah. You, you thought, what the heck? Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, he was he was struggling, you know. He uh, he was having a lot of, uh, I don't want to say symptoms. I don't know what the right language is, but he was he was expressing a lot of the attributes of of autism. You know, having having a hard time regulating his emotions, focusing. He was very um, he was getting very aggressive. He didn't want to go outside and play. Right, and. Um, I had been doing, you know, work with his mother for a while and I just suggested trying to do some healing work for him, but I didn't know what to do because I actually tried the the very first type of this starlight healing, I tried on him and it didn't do anything. So I told her that I uh, would do some uh, reflective work and to see if I could come up with a way of, of healing him. So I actually... Um, um, 
did a bit of a, a psychedelic journey and uh during the psychedelic journey i uh was guided on how to work with them and i actually uh started working with them actually right in the psychedelic journey and and did this amazing healing for him and then i did five more mm. in a whole different way like this is this is a whole different way of working with people and i did uh two rounds of three for him and then uh and then his mother said he had these this spectacular or significant as she says uses the word shift yeah like one of the things you talk about or she wrote to you in her uh recommendation or evaluation she said he used to be triggered by barking dogs but yeah. now he can s see the dog and he just covers his ears and says yeah. dog yeah so or he saw a picture of his mom and said my mummy and he never yeah. done that before right and uh you know he's not quote-unquote cured no. You know, I suspect he'll always have autism, but the intensity, he's managing it. He's, he's managing, managing it. He's managing it now. Yeah, and and this all happened remotely. He, they neither of them knew when I was doing it. I did right. it from here. Right. So it was just spectacular. You know, well, you are, and he had never met either. You never only, met him. You'd only heard about him through his mother. Yeah, I'd never met him. So, so these are. Th this is not just about healing for people. It's a radical shift in worldview. It's a radical shift in worldview for me. I mean, right. you're, we're talking about people who've had chronic, chronic ailments for decades, and they've tried all these different healing practitioners, and then they hire me, and I do healing for them while almost while also healing seven other people at the same time, and they don't even—they're not even around. Right. And so that changes. It's not just about changing the body. It's about it's a shifting a worldview that we've had around time and space and what's possible. Well, now how do you how do you tell with skeptics? Skepticism right? doesn't make a difference. You know, <laughs> the the biggest that with the most dramatic like you're not getting Yelp reviews or anything oh, no, like no, that. No. <laughs> I, I actually welcome skepticism. I expect it. I welcome it. Right. The uh, testimonial at the top of the group healing page was a guy in the states. He uh, had six chronic ailments. He had alopecia, which is mm -hmm. hair falling out, hair falling out. I remember reading psoriasis that. on both hands, and he had four mechanical muscular issues of um, things like back, neck, uh, joint, and shoulder, or something like that. And he'd had all this for a long time, in some cases decades. So six ailments. He was a total skeptic. Right. He, he only did it because he asked his his uh, seven-year-old daughter who believes in unicorns if he should do it and she said yeah daddy go do it <laughs> so he did it and uh he woke up a week after the third one was over because i do them in groups of three for the groups and yeah. and it was it was all the physical pain was gone the psoriasis was receding and his hair was growing back and then within a few weeks after that his hair had grown back completely and his hands are soft and it's remained such. And wow. uh, so skepticism, you don't have to be a believer. Right. You know, he writes on the testimony. I think the first three words are reluctant, right. hocus pocus and placebo. Right. And so you don't need to, and that's, you don't need to be a believer. You, and that's what's cool. And this also debunks the whole uh, placebo theory because. In he, what sense? Well, in the sense that he, he wasn't a believer. Right. Placebo is based on the fact that you suddenly believe, and it's the belief that help, helps the healing, but he didn't believe. Oh, I he, see what you're saying. Okay. Although he had some level of belief, 
because he wouldn't have hired me if right. he hadn't had belief. But the other reason why I think it debunks the uh, the placebo effect is because, um, you know, he's tried, these people have tried many other practitioners. You'll see often in the testimonials, I tried acupuncture, massage therapy, right. physiotherapy, Reiki or whatever, and none of it worked. So if, if placebo was in play, it would have worked for one of those. Right. Why would it, you know, and if anything, it's going to work with me the least because I'm the flakiest option of all. Because I'm not even, they're not even in the but same room. You said that. Yeah, I know, I know. But they're not even in the same room as yeah. me. They don't even know when it's happening. Right. So if anything, they're going to have the least belief with me. So that then least, that then has the less likelihood of there being a placebo effect. Right. It's more likely to have a placebo effect with something that's more respected in mainstream, like acupuncture. So you were, you were called to this work because of an ayahuasca opened up a gateway. So these people mm -hmm. uh, spoke with you. Do uh, do do you still speak with them? Do they? Yeah. Yeah. I and I don't know who them are. Right. You know, I I'm I'm like chitty chatty when I do do these psychedelic journeys because for me it's like sitting at, at a coffee shop with with these beings. Right. And, like you and I chatting right now, the voice is very clear. Right. You know, wow. the, the the guidance I'm getting is, is, you know, it's, it's like very specific. It's very clear. Um, and I don't, but I don't know who, who it is. And I've learned uh, not to ask. Right. You know, I remember asking one time and it was like, you know, I got a kind of a sharp warning that it was like, you know, it's better that you don't know. So there's some things we don't get. It's, <laughs> Turns out it's Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I and I and I actually respect that now. Um, you know, I teach curiosity. Yeah. You know, in my workshops because play and curiosity go hand to hand. But I'm learning, in actually, in many ways, the wisdom of actually not being curious, of actually accepting uncertainty. Well, and sometimes it's good to live in the question, exactly, as opposed to seek the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think once we start going into those astral realms, it's in some ways better to not know because I think a lot of the information would be kind of overwhelming. That's almost like uh, um, Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. When you find the answer, if you find out the meaning of life, it will instantly be replaced with something yes. bizarre and complicated. Yes. Yes. And he... He supposes in his book that that has already happened. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Right, that's why the world is so crazy. It's yeah. Somebody figured it out. And I'm yeah. like, oh, here's a brand new world then. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, wow. yeah, we get in trouble when we say I got it. I think uh, wisdom I received one time was the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I like that sentence because it allows for paradox, mm -hmm. knowing and not knowing. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the... the there's certain things that you don't you don't need the answer to, right? Yeah, and you want to like it's like in the the, the body keeps score, right? You want to be you want to know where the trauma is, but you're not going to stay there. Yeah, right. You're 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 releasing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 also about healing. Is also about moving forward. Right. So if, if a person suddenly feels healed and moving forward, they don't need to question 
why am I healed? No. Right? No. It's like, look, you're, you're healed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to question why you're healed. I mean, and there's always another layer, right? That's the thing as well. You know, there's always, you know, because healing is not, I think healing for most people starts on a personal level. Okay, I'm going to heal the fact that I was abused or right. what happened to me, you know, or it could be even something in a car accident. Um, but then I think if we do enough healing, it actually becomes no longer about, a per, it's no longer personal, it becomes impersonal. Mm -hmm. So for instance, you know, I've done, over the time increasingly, I've done ceremonies where I've healed stuff that was ancestral. Wow. Um, clearing stuff that's not even nothing to do with me just going like imagine like roots going down 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 into to the lineage ancestral lineage and then like pulling trauma up and clearing it through my body wow. or going out into the planet and clearing stuff that is around me so healing healing is never ending and uh and it becomes complex but um you know trauma what's interesting is the word trauma in German, in the in the German language, trauma comes from the word trom. Trom. You, know, you know what it means? No. It means dream. Okay. So, uh, you know, so trauma, you know, if we look at The Matrix, the movie The Matrix, mm -hmm. you know, it keeps us in The Matrix. Right. And, uh, you know, it keeps us... Uh, so we become energy pods. Yeah, we're kind of energy pods. Yeah, okay. exactly. And we're... Uh, where trauma um, kind of inures us to mm. the uh, matrix mindset. Right. Um, uh, you know, or as I call it, matrix mind tricks. Nice. And, uh, and so what healing does is that it wakes us up from the dream. Right. Because when you heal the trauma, you wake from the dream. If you remember, trauma comes from the German dream so heal right. the trauma heal the dream right wake from the wake from the dream wake from the dream a uh, dream state because you sometimes you talk about dream being a good thing right you, you, but you want to be in reality yeah. so I, I, it also seems like it's breaking the pattern because that's another issue with people who have have trauma uh, i'm certainly for myself and i see it in people that i know is that they keep repeating bad behaviors or bad things and you that's go right. okay you need to <laughs> yeah. you need to figure out why you keep walking down that path because well, you've now done it so often. Well, right? trauma wires us, right? Yeah. Like it literally, it re-circuits us. It re-patterns mm -hmm. us. And so if it creates patterns in our neurobiology, then what happens is those patterns get manifested into repetitive patterns. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so in many ways, we're, we are programmed you know, a certain way, and then we have certain experiences. So we're trying to break free from the coding. Right. You know, that's that's in us that comes from trauma. Right. Now you do, you have a newsletter that mm -hmm. you send out and people can sign up for that on your website. Yeah. yeah. A little yeah. pop-up. A little pop-up. Oh, yeah, it goes. No pressure. Yeah. No pressure. If, if you want, yeah, you can just hit close. Yeah, you can uh, hit close. Because when I was re-looking at your website today, yeah. looking at all your uh, uh, testimonies and, and your vast array of things. It's a database. Uh, it's huge. Um, uh, yeah, the little newsletter pop-up came up. Yeah, and, yeah. And I was yeah. like, I already subscribed. Click. Yeah. Popped up one more time when I moved to oh, another shit. page. <laughs> yeah. But only, only twice. It didn't oh, good, 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 I, good. I clicked around on a whole bunch of stuff. I guess yeah. I'd been there long enough that yeah. I was like, 
Are you sure you don't want the newsletter? Oh, God. But you posted something, now I think this might have been on your Facebook, yeah. where uh, yeah. the opening sentence really caught my eye. Now, I reread, like I took a screenshot of it, and, mm-hmm. uh, but it was like, the more we feel, the harder it is to fit in. Mm-hmm. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Uh, do you remember what you... Yeah, well, I mean, with? it segues off of the last piece of the Matrix, right? right. So, uh, you know, we are we are raised in many ways to fit in, to be good, right. well-behaved, right. nice, Be a good little gentleman. Be a right. good little boy, good yeah. little girl, you know, act in a certain way and make mommy and daddy happy, make your yeah. school teachers happy, you know, uh, be good, productive... Uh, citizens and uh, and we have to also understand that you know for for many kids when they're in a in a dysfunctional home survival depends on fitting in mm-hmm. we know that if a child has the choice between being authentic and and being a t- having some form of attachment with their parents meaning a, a connection they will choose attachment every time they will choose right. attachment over authenticity right in other words if I am my wild imaginative self, I'm going to get disapproved of or worse. Right. So I'm going to adapt and be who mommy and daddy want me to be. Right. So I get the approval that I need to feel safe in the household. Well, and we get that sort of beaten into us when we're in school, when we start into the school system. That's right. One of the things that I always just feel sadness for is when I see a little kid with a toy like the other day at the bus I saw a kid who had the um, infinity glove mm. and I went when he takes that to school there's going to be someone who's going to mock him yeah yeah. and he right now loves that glove yeah well that's a lot of the, actually trauma a lot of trauma people have is actually bullying at school mm-hmm. a lot of bullying and it's not just the fact that they're bullying it's that they might have been afraid to tell their parents or if they did tell their parents, their parents didn't do anything about right. it. Right, they went, ah, that'll yeah, make a man out of you. Yeah, 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 it'll toughen you up. Yeah. Or you go deal with it. Um, but, um... Or those stupid movies that always say, bullies are really cowards, so just go and confront them, and then you come back with a black eye. Yeah, yeah, He yeah. wasn't a coward yeah, at all. Yeah, he, was, he was definitely a very good bully. Yeah, A-plus bully. Yeah. So, uh... So where was I going with all that? Oh, sorry so, so, that. No, no, so, so they'll choose authenticity... Um, so they'll choose attachment, not yeah. a conscious choice, um, necessarily, but over, over being authentic. Yeah, yeah, it's the connection. The connection the with the parents, because they need, and I say what, I, I should say whatever semblance of connection or attachment they can get. Like, you know, if me being my wild imagined self gets me in trouble, or gets me a spanking, or gets me yeah. worse than a spanking, because yeah. there is worse then um, I better adapt and be what mummy and daddy want me right. to be, which is maybe I need to be a responsible young five-year-old right. you know, who behaves, is good. So at a young age, we are um, conditioned to fit in, to fit into the family, to fit in a certain way, to fit in at school, you know, to raise our nice straight arm right. in the classroom and That's say, I know, I know. And then we get, we get graded and ranked and compared in the school system and now we're trying to constantly live up to an image that's projected onto us by adults and then when we get into the preteen and teenage years we rebel against that we rebel so what's happening is that's the beginning of we don't want to fit into that mold we're yeah. trying to rebel you know it's a it's a it's a bit of a poor person's attempt at at trying to exercise their autonomy because they're still 
unfortunately, despite their best efforts, if they rebel, they don't they don't have them. We're, we are a society that's bereft of, of mentors and elders. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the guidance that we need at that impressionable age. It's not like, you know, tribal societies where at 13 years old, kids are being, uh, you know, taken away into the wild to be initiated through rites right. of passage. Right, like indigenous cultures. Indigenous cultures, yeah. you know, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not doing that. So we, we're rebelling, but we don't have any authority to, to help us ground that rebel energy into something useful. It's almost like when, when they hit the teenage self, like as you were saying, between the difference between connection and authenticity, mm. they're trying to be authentic. That's right. But they often will then join into the clique. <laughs> so right. they're not really being authentic. They're latch, they'll latch on to another group that are rebelling and they all rebel together, but yeah. they're all still caught in the in the in the in the matrix and, yeah you know but um so so what happens is that once we start doing our healing work we inver invariably we start to feel more right. you feel more in your body you feel the suppressed stuff in your body trauma right. emotions sensation all that and as you feel more you start to come to terms with how much you've compromised yourself in this life Mm. to be someone who you're not right to be who you had to be to cope and survive and make it so then you start questioning all the ways that you fit into a very dysfunctional right. society you know jay krishnamurti the um, indian spiritual teacher said something to the extent of it is no accomplishment to um to uh to do well in a profoundly sick society right you know it is no achievement to fit in basically to a profoundly sick society. So, so when we start feeling more, when we start healing more, we feel more, more we feel, the more clarity we get, the more we want to reclaim our authenticity and the less we want to fit into that mold and into a society that depends actually on traumatized people to traumatize right. society. So the society depends on people fitting in you know, and, and I mean, what the school system is, is it's a, it's a machine mm -hmm. to man, outdated machine, very outdated, very traumatized that that's designed to manufacture obedient citizens to fit into the matrix. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and so we are, you know, as Jess Lair says, he says, you know, children are not to be molded, but unfolded. But right. so we're trying to unfold from the mold. Right. And and it's not just the inner mold, but it's the outer mold. Right. So the more we feel, the harder it literally is to fit in. Right. In the inner mold and the outer mold. Nice. I like that. I like the unfolding. Yeah. Um, uh, you've written uh, two books. Yes. Uh, Let the Fire Burn, which is... Uh, it's so interesting looking at the book covers. They both got such different vibes. Yeah, yeah totally the, different vibes, uh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, uh, Let the Fire Burn is nurturing the creative spirit of children. Yeah. Uh, and then Wild Empty Spaces, which is poems for the opening heart. That's right. Were they... Uh, 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 were, uh, well, what prompted you to, to write those? Well, the first one... I mean, they, they kind of match the sequence of, of my life order in the sense that when I was doing a lot of presenting on, on uh, Remembering to Play, well, I wrote a book on 
um, basically nurturing the creative spirit of children and, and, and how play is a big part of that, right. along with other things. I had actually no plan on writing a book at that time. I, I was just literally in 2014, I, I remember it was March, I was just walking down the street and just like I had a complete download. It was like a pure wow. inspiration about the fire and children and and the metaphor popped in me and then within six months the book was published. Right. You wow. know, it was, a, it was a book with, with uh, pictures. It's a children's yeah. book for adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I just, and then the deeper I went into to this, uh, my healing work, I... Uh, the it, it morphed more towards the the writing about healing and 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 the nuances of of the, the spiritual path and so uh, the book of poetry came out which right. is really about um, six stages of the soul and um and just what what is asked of us when we do our healing and, and when we open the heart right right uh, have you set because you're a songwriter? Did you, have you set any of your poems to music? Have you, yeah. I, I haven't. Or, no, they, but they I, live but in their own world. These no, are poems and these are songs. but I, the first poem I wrote was in 2002. It's the first poem in the book. It's called "Can You Be Here in the Emptiness?" And I was sitting on my couch in 2002, meditating, and suddenly the word, the sentence or the question, "Can you be here in the emptiness?" literally just started popping in my head out of nowhere, and I just found these words tumbling out of my mind or my heart. I got on my computer and within five minutes I wrote this perfectly cadenced, perfectly rhyming poem that wow. was not short. It's a pretty decent length poem. And it just poured out of me. And I never wrote another poem for another 14 years after that. Wow. But at that time, well, maybe like about 12 years ago, I decided to put the poem, Can You Be Here in the Infinite, on, on different board, bulletin boards and coffee shops and stuff. And this guy contacted me, and he uh, he loved the poem, and he set it to to a song on the piano, and he, he invited me over, so I went over there and listened to him sing the song. Sing your poem to you? Yeah, sing the poem over, over to me. But no, I I've never. I mean, I write lyrics, which is poetry, but that's that's I've never done done any music right. musical poems. Right. Wow. That's that's uh, one of the things that I I'm, I'm really getting the impression from you, and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you for the podcast was that you you do seem to be so based on your impulses like you mm -hmm. don't you don't stop them right you 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 go i'm gonna uh, suddenly i want to write this poem right suddenly i want to go into this healing work suddenly i want to like like it, it's yeah it's uh it's a uh a, a, a spontaneity and yeah. the other thing that i really like about you is that you you also seem very grounded and very calm right um I sometimes see that same kind of groundedness in people who are friends of mine who are very religious. Oh, and, yeah. And you go, wow, there's an inner peace going on with right. you there. But, right. But you seem to have that as well. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it sounds like you're, uh, you're on a, a, a wild path. Well, the book is called, the second book is called Wild Empty Space. That's right. Oh, that's so, right. <laughs> wild, wild means willing to give yourself to the unpredictabilities mm. of of life, including the unpredictabilities of what's speaking through you that wants to, wants you to listen. Wow. And that may be a poem or a song or I walk, by, uh, I walk by a woman and, 
and suddenly the voice says you need to go ask her out you know something like that you know yeah. you know it could be like meeting different people right you know? uh wow you know, being spontaneous right uh by the way, that hasn't happened recently. That yeah, woman yeah, thing. Yeah, I've just know. gone up to women on the street. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. Bought them flowers. No, that, that's the next level. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I use the metaphor skiing because um, I love skiing and I love pointing my hill, hill, uh, skis downhill. And then it's sort of like you trust that your skis, your legs will know where to go. Right. You, they'll know how to... you're going pretty fast. Yeah, exactly. And they'll know how to navigate that bump and they'll know how to navigate that turn. And you kind of just let let it take you, the hill. Let the right. hill take you. Give yourself to gravity. And so creativity for me is about giving yourself to gravity. One, and your brain is also making impulsive decisions yeah. too. Like it's going turn here, turn here. Like your feet yeah. are doing it, but... Like Malcolm Gladwell talks about that in the book Blink, where yeah. where ideas happen not so that you can be cognitive of the idea. Mm. Your, your body's just it just does going. It. It's just doing. It's it. it's operating at a quicker processing speed that the conscious mind can grasp. Yeah, and um, you know one of my and just you know I'm not perfect. Like I'd love to learn a new learn how to cook a new meal every week, and I'm not doing it. But YouTube, I, go to YouTube. YouTube, yeah, I know. <laughs> I did just buy an Instabot. But um, but I have this philosophy that I don't want to lay on my deathbed and regret things. Mm -hmm. You know, I met an, a 78-year-old man one time, and he said, you know, when you get to be my age, the things that you regret are not the things you did do, but the things you didn't do. Right. And I, I don't want to regret... Like, I could have got that insight about let the fire burn and not acted on it. Mm. And I would have regretted that. Like, that book has done really well. Um, it's, you know, it's it's actually was like, I don't have children, but it was like a child for me. You know, birthing wow. that thing. And it's made a big difference in people's lives. Um, financially, yeah. it's, it's you know, it made me some decent money. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to miss on inspiration. I love that you you are honoring that uh, life without regrets and I love that you are now called to helping people mm -hmm. heal so that they can live a life without regrets. So I love that you're healing for a new world. Yes. Uh, if you want to know more about Vince, uh, Vince Gowan, uh, you can go to his website. His last name is spelled G-O-W-M-O-N. All the information, also how to get the books is there. How to sign up for sessions and uh yeah uh, uh, i would like to hear from you as well what are you liking about the podcast it's our third one uh what can be improved and do you have any suggestions for guests or subjects to cover um and uh, uh if you enjoyed it please don't forget to rate and review it and if you think it can help someone else out please share it thank you so much my name is david c jones and this has been alive and engaged yeah. Oh,